Um, I asked Larry to come up here because next Thursday, uh, it represents the fifth anniversary of our Celebrate Recovery ministry, which is a great milestone. Amen. Give the Lord a shout on that one. And uh, I'll have Greg and Debbie Aguilera. In fact, everybody that is part of that team, which is a big team, uh, we're going to have all of you come forward next week. We want to pray a special blessing over you for the next 55 years of ministry. It's going to be a powerful blessing. It's going to carry on for years to come. But I'm looking at my dear sister, Debbie Aguilera, here today. Debbie, just stand up where you're at in case somebody doesn't know you yet. I think most people do. But um, Debbie came to us five years ago or so, uh, literally it, with, through tears, shared with our leadership team um, about her desire to see a ministry like Celebrate Recovery started at Living Stones. If you guys have been around here for any length of time, you know that this place has always been a place that has attracted broken, hurting people. Um, my mom and dad have, have set the pace for us for, for 30 plus years of opening their hearts and all of our hearts wide open to love people right where they're at. And most of the time, uh, guess what? People don't come running to Jesus when they're on the top of the mountain and everything's great and life's great and they got money coming out their ears. Uh, normally people come running to the Lord when they hit rock bottom. Anybody know what I'm talking about? And, uh, and you realize that you're broken. Of course, people on top of the mountain are broken too. They just have more things to hide and keep them, keep them pretending that they're not broken. But Debbie shared her heart coming out of her background, coming out of some things she went through as a child, some of her family dynamics, some of the pain that she experienced. She said, you know, I'd really love to have a place here at Living Stones where people could deal with the hurts and the habits and the hang-ups. And I just want to say, too, you know, a lot of times we talk about celebrate recovery, people right away associate addiction. And while I'm not addicted to this or that, um, it's not about addiction at all. It's actually about getting our hearts healed so that hopefully we don't, we don't go to the place of addiction, right? Uh, addictions are just what we get into when we try to deal with the, the incredible pain that's in our lives uh, the, the wrong way. And so it's for people that just want to get help, get encouraged, get their hearts healed. And uh, it's, it's basically for all of us. Um, but that's how we got, we got you um, coming to Living Stones, right? I mean, or was it the other way? You came to Living Stones. For, I can't remember, but tell, tell us your journey, because you've been here how long, Larry? Four years now. Four years. Yeah, four and, you, years. and you were not one of those people that came here all together. Uh, that's exactly right. Yeah, tell, I, tell us about your, your dynamics at the time. Well, well, first of all, good morning, church. Uh, good to see you all again. Um, I, I just got to mention, as I did the first time, because you get to do this twice. It's great. Uh, worship. Just grab your heart. Is God feeling in your heart? Wasn't that great? Amen. I, mean, I just really loved it. Amen. Anyway, uh, I had to make a mention of that. Uh, yeah, I, I came to uh, Livingstone's church four years ago. Uh, my wife and I are both broken, our, our hearts broken, uh, on our last straw, so to speak, uh, mentally and physically, just done for uh, because of my son's addiction to drugs. Uh, we didn't know where else to go. Uh, luckily enough, my wife works with a lady who mentioned CR, Nancy Arnold, and God bless her for that. Uh, she's sitting back there. Anyway, we, uh, uh, we came and, you know, for the first time to uh, celebrate recovery, and um, it was kind of different uh, because uh, everybody was worshiping, throwing their arms up in the air, and I wasn't used to that. Uh, <laughs> I, I came from a Catholic church, you know, Catholic grammar school, Catholic high school, and, and Sunday was a holy day of obligation. I use that word. Uh, and I, I just got to say, I love Larry because when he would come to church, 
Of course, the worship would get him, the presence of God would get him, and the word would get him, and then he'd come up to me after church and say, Pastor, Mass was so great today. And I'd say, <laughs> <laughs> Old habits are hard to break. <laughs> but, but anyway, uh, so uh, it's, been, it's, it's, uh, it's been a whirlwind for me. Um, uh, my faith has grown exponentially. Um, God has come into my heart and changed my heart. Uh, as we came to CR, uh, we, were, we met people that, like Debbie would say, you know, you come in as a stranger and you, and you leave as a family on the first day. And truly, I believe that. And we came back again and again. And we found that, that that was what we really needed to be. We needed to be at CR because Karen and I are both wanting to serve and, and encourage people and stuff. But the real story is, is that we came because of my son's addiction. But it wasn't about my son. It was about me. Yeah. I came to know the Lord. Yes. Come on. So it's taken everything. Amen. For me to collect myself. But I'm so thankful to see our living stones passed around because he's taught me more in the last four years than I ever learned in the 62 odd years before that. So thank you. God bless. We love you, buddy. We're glad you're here. Proud of you. What a great story, huh? And that, those stories get repeated week after week after week. And if you've seen Larry, uh, he has always sat the same place on Sunday, right there at his post, loving on people, greeting people. He and his wife are incredible people. And this is what I love about Jesus, you know. When he heals our hearts, then we're able to turn and set our focus on loving other people. And I know many of you know exactly what I'm talking about. After the Lord helps you get your heart and your life and your family back together then the first thing you want to do is you want to give it away and you want to bless other people. And that's what we're seeing happening in Celebrate Recovery. People go through, they get, they get rocked, and then the first thing they do is they're like, you know what, I want to help other people because I know what they're going through. And it's a beautiful, beautiful cycle of, uh, of not only getting healed, but leadership development and re- repeating on and on and on. So th- not this Thursday, but next Thursday, five-year anniversary. Debbie, everybody's invited out, right, to come celebrate. They wants to be a great night to come out and just just see what's going on and and for no other reason just cheer everybody on in the process of uh of their healing amen all right i'm so excited about this morning because we're going to jump in in more depth to this whole notion of coming alive i shared last week uh one of the first things the lord does everything starts on the inside our first thing that happens when we're born again is our spirit comes alive uh, we, we're able to have a relationship with God. That's why, you know, when Larry talks about coming here and, oh man, encountering God's presence, well, what does that mean? It, it means your, your spirit is alive to God. It means that you've had a supernatural resurrection. And everybody in this room that knows Jesus Christ knows exactly what I'm talking about. You once were dead, but now you're alive. Can anybody say hallelujah to that? Amen. But here's the deal. Then God begins to move into our soulish realm or the realm of our heart our mind, our will, our emotions, and then God begins to mess with that. That's a little more messy, is it not? Because that involves us dealing with some of the things from the past. So before I get into talking about the healing our hearts this morning, I just want to say that I've had some areas come alive in my heart ever since I became Papa. And I got to just show a picture. This is what grandparents do. 
That's, that's one of my favorite pictures. Raya, come up here. Look what I got. You know what this is? You know what that is? What that? Can you come by me for just a minute? You know what that is? Okay. Um, every Monday night, I get to hang out with this little guy because my son-in-law, Aaron, our youth pastor, and my daughter are doing life groups at youth. And so they, uh, I get to be babysitter with my wife of our wonderful little grandson here. And how many of you have figured out when you get kids fancy toys and stuff, they don't play with them? They play with the box, right? And, um, and so Marion and I, we get everything set up in the front room. We got this whole basket full of toys. And we're sitting there, and all of a sudden, little Uriah runs out of the room. We know exactly where he's going. At this season of life, everything that looks the shape like this is a ball, all right? And we have a three-tiered fruit stand in our kitchen. And I know where he's going because I'll hear this clunk, clunk, clunk. It's all the fruit that's dropping on the tile, all right? And then we'll see, you know, a Granny Smith apple rolling on the tile past to the front door, banging off the front door. And then he comes around the corner, and this kid's got a great arm. So imagine, Nick, this, this little guy comes around the corner with his arm cocked like this, <laughs> with this wild-eyed look, you know, going on. And he gets this close, and he's like this. You don't know if that ball is going off your forehead. You don't know where it's going. So, and so I'm like Mr. Octopus. I'm trying to cover, and, and, uh, and he's got a good arm, and he just launches it. Uh, but sometimes it's going off the, you know, the coffee table. Sometimes it's going off the tile. The bottom line is, when you come to my house, do not eat the fruit. I'm just telling you, right? <laughs> because the fruit might look nice on the outside, but if you look carefully, there's lots of dents, okay? And, uh, and when you open up the fruit, it's not all that great looking. But this guy is an aspiring baseball player. But, uh, but more importantly, I'm not using it to highlight his baseball skills. I'm using it to highlight the fact that most of us are like pieces of fruit here this morning. We look kind of good on the outside. Maybe a few, if you get close to us, you might find a few dents and scars along the way. But here's my question to you. I wonder how, how we'd look if we cut us open. You know, there's only one fruit that is in that fruit basket that we let get absolutely disgustingly rotten and brown. Does anybody know what fruit that is? Bananas. And Marion, as I know a lot of you ladies do, she'll let those bananas get really disgusting. And then she throws them in the freezer. And then at a magical moment in time, they come out. And all the mush has become frozen and rock solid. And she takes that mushy, nasty, overripe, beat up, bruised, slimy banana. And she throws it into some flour and sugar. And out comes a piece of banana bread that is like phenomenal. Anybody know what I'm talking about? But I'm just telling you this. If, if you paid close attention to that process, you would not eat that banana bread, I'm just telling you. Because who wants to peel this black, nasty, slimy, dark brown gooky, open it up, there's this banana oozing out. Mm, so No, you wouldn't put that near your mouth. It's disgusting. But when she works her magic, oh my gosh, with a piece of coffee or a cup of coffee and a piece of that banana bread in the morning, oh, preferably warm, a little butter because we're German. Oh my goodness, it's phenomenal. Um, but I wonder this morning if, if the Lord peeled our banana called life, what we would look like on the inside. 
The Bible gives us some really, really important words of instruction. I want to start here this morning from Proverbs 4.23. You know this verse, but we need to remind ourselves because, you know, here's the deal. Satan has a very clear target in our lives, and the target that he's after is your heart. How many of you have found that if, if Satan gets your heart, the rest of your life is pretty much trashed? Um, if he's able to get your heart, um, it just sucks the life out of you. And look at what Proverbs 4.23 says. It says, above all else, meaning, you know, in, if you're ranking things in order of importance, this is the most important thing to pay attention to. Above all the other concerns of life, above all the other concerns of what it means to live for Jesus, this one, the Bible says, is the most important. It's above all the others. Well, what is that? It is the command to guard your heart. Why? Because everything you do flows from your heart. And let me just caution us this morning. When we think of guarding, we think of like standing, you know, if we're going to guard our house, we're going to stand at the front door with a shotgun and make sure nobody enters the house. We're going to lock the doors. We're going to pull down the blinds. We're going to lock the windows. Um, How many of you know that's not what the Bible's saying? That's not the kind of guarding that God wants to happen on your heart. In fact, if you live that way, and many people do, many people get hurt, they're like, no one's going to hurt me again. Uh, They put the walls up. They put walls up with the Lord. They put walls up with other Christians. They put walls up with people at work. They're, They're all walled in. Anybody know what I'm talking about? And the reason we do this is because we're trying to guard our hearts. Well, why are we going to guard our hearts? Because we've been hurt. Our heart's been stepped on. Our heart's been damaged. And we are not going to let that experience happen again. We're not stupid. How many of you heard that phrase? You know, my mama didn't raise a dummy. Uh, You can fool me once, but you're not going to fool me twice. I mean, people say these kinds of things. And what they're really saying is, I am not going to let you close to me. I am not going to be vulnerable. I will keep you at arm's length. People, you know, Larry said, oh man, wasn't worship great? Well, I'll tell you, worship was great for some of you. Worship was terrible for others of you because here's what happens. People get into an atmosphere of worship and when their, their heart is used to be walled up and they keep everybody at arm's length, they also keep the Holy Spirit at arm's length. They keep Jesus at arm's length. They keep God the Father at arm's length. And you can be in an atmosphere where the person next to you is having a Holy Spirit meltdown and you're not feeling a thing. And let me tell you why you're not feeling a thing. Because you need to deal with the condition of your heart. What the Bible's saying is guard your heart. It means deal with the disappointments and hurts and shortcomings of other people. Deal with your own rejection. Deal with your own stuff in a way to where bitterness and resentment and judgment do not cloud the condition and poison the contents of your heart. Because the Bible says every single thing about your life comes out of your heart. If your heart is damaged, your relationship with your spouse will not be at maximum potential. If your heart is damaged, your relationship with your children will not be what God wants it to be. If your heart is damaged, your relationship with God Almighty will have a lid on it and you will constantly find yourself hitting the lid of your potential and wondering why this gospel works for everybody else but it doesn't work for me. Listen to what the Passion Bible says, this same verse. So above all, guard the affections of your heart, for they affect all that you are. Pay attention to the welfare of your innermost being, for from there flows the wellspring of life. Your heart is a wellspring. God wants to pump life out of you. He wants to pump life to everything that you touch. He wants to pump life out of us to touch other people. 
He wants our affections, our, our mind, our will, our emotions, the emotional side of us to be healthy. That's why I told you before, don't stuff your emotions. Don't ignore your emotions. If you're experiencing discouragement or depression, it's, it's your heart trying to tell you something. If you have a low-grade sense of anger inside of you where you're always wound up and you're always angry, that emotion of anger is trying to tell you something's not right with your heart. If you're constantly dealing with, with being critical and you're constantly dealing with being negative, let me just tell you, something's the matter with your heart. Have you ever noticed, I've, I've seen this in church world, that our emotions can be like rust on a car. How many of you know if you, if you have rust on your car and you want to redo the car, you don't go out and just paint over the rust. How come? Because the rust is going to work right through the paint. Because that's the nature of rust. You know, there's a lot of people sitting in church this morning that you thought that if you just came to church and you read your Bible and you, and you tried to do the religious stuff, that that would deal with the pain that's in your heart, the rust that's going on in your emotional realm. And if you can just cloak it and cover it and look good on the outside and clean up your language a little bit and, and not be so addicted to certain things and try to be a good guy, that somehow you're going to be all right and you're just going to you're just going to cover it with what's religiously acceptable, but the issue is on the inside, you're still not free, and you know you're not free. And what happens is, you know, I've heard people say, well, I, I, I tried Jesus. No, you didn't try Jesus. You came to where Jesus was, but you just whitewashed your rust. And because you whitewashed your rust and you never allowed the Lord to deal with those hidden areas of your heart, you never got free. And then you said, well, church just wasn't for me. No, church is for you. It's exactly what you need. Jesus died to resurrect dead hearts. He's the resurrection and the life right now. But if you just whitewash, I got news for you. The, the, the people Jesus had the strongest rebukes for were not the people most messed up. How many of you know Jesus never rebuked sinners? In fact, you ready for this? The religious folks' biggest critique of Jesus was he's friends with sinners. That, you know, it takes a lot to, to build a reputation like that. It means you get close to messed up people and you're not ashamed of them and you love them where they're at. That was Jesus' biggest accusation by the Pharisees. Isn't that amazing? He was a friend of sinners. Tiss, tiss, tiss. There are people in the church that don't allow kids or neighbors or relatives to hang out with unsaved people because they don't want to get tainted. Those people are unsaved. Yes, they're unsaved. Love them for God's sake. Love them. Let your kids get near their kids. Don't judge them because they're not perfect. You're part of the solution to bring them the love of Jesus Christ. But we don't let people that are dealing with that sin come to this church. We let sinners of all stripes come to this church. I'm just warning you. Everybody is welcome. Jesus called Pharisees whitewashed tombs. They look so good on the outside. And he said, on the inside, you're full of dead bones. Jesus said, it's what comes out of you that defiles you, not what is on the outside of you that defiles you. It's that stuff that comes out of your heart that's festering up. I can't tell you how many times I've been with people and they've been critical. And I say, who wounded you? Nobody wounded me. Why are you so critical? Well, I'm discerning. No, you're not. Well, I'm spiritually more mature. No, you're not. 
The Bible says love covers a multitude of sins, and people that are moving in a spirit of love barely notice when other people do it wrong. The reason you're critical is because you're hurt. Who hurt you? Who wounded you? You know, there are spouses trapped in marriages where one of, the, one of the spouses is constantly critical. You can't do this right. You're not cooking right. You're not keeping the house right. You're not doing this right. Negative, negative, negative. Beat your wife down. Drive her in the ground. And she has no self-worth. And she wonders, what's the matter with me? Nothing's the matter with you. It's your husband who hasn't resolved the wounds in his heart, and he's critical, and so he vomits it out on you. How many marriages have been destroyed? How many family units are destroyed? Because we don't stop long enough to realize the problem is not outside of you. The problem is inside of you. And if you're the critic of the church, if you're the critic of God's people, if you're the critic of everything, I'm telling you, you need to get healed. But it's amazing to me that some of the biggest critics don't need healing. They're very much pharisaical. I'll say, what hurt you? Oh, I'm not hurt. I'm doing great then why are you so poisonous to be around? Because your heart does not lie. Your heart will always speak the truth. And what comes out of your mouth is a reflection of what's going on in your heart. The problem is, in most situations, everybody around us knows that we're sick, except us. We're still blaming everybody else. Your damaged emotions are like rust. Don't ignore them. They will hurt you. They will limit you. They will destroy you. They will eat away at the life that God has for you. Pay attention to your damaged heart. Why does Satan damage our heart, or how does he damage our heart? Well, sometimes we're wounded by the cruel words of somebody at work. They're just nasty. They're mean. They got a a tongue like a snake, and those words hurt. Sometimes you're deeply disappointed by the lack of intimacy in your marriage, and you're like, man, will I ever get a breakthrough? Uh, Will we ever experience the kind of relationship that God wants us to experience? And you just live with this sense of sadness because this was not what you were expecting. This was not what you thought you were getting into. Sometimes you feel overwhelmed or you feel unappreciated at home. Sometimes you grieve over a close friend who maybe was in your life group and all of a sudden they just disappear with no explanation. Can I just tell you all something this morning? Jesus' expectation on all of our lives is that we love people and we minister to people. Let me just say that one again. Jesus' expectation is that every single one of us love people and minister to people. Okay, one more time. Turn to your neighbor and say, he's talking to you right now, all right? Just in case, just tell him that. He's talking to you. If you get involved in loving people, ready for this one, you're going to be hurt. Jesus was a life group leader. He had 12 in his life group. One of them rejected him, sold him out for 30 pieces of silver, and committed suicide in Jesus' life group. What are you whining about? The only reason I'm bringing this up is because I have to remind myself of these things. When he needed them the most, they all scattered. What's that? Was Jesus a bad life group leader? No. Hurt people 
hurt people, and the world is full of hurt people who hurt people, and guess what? You and I are one of them. So as soon as we want to point to other people and have a pity party, it's like, hello, we're, we're, we're the recipients of hurt, and we're the distributors of hurt, every last one of us. Am I speaking to the right crowd this morning? If you're going to move into the fullness of what God has for you, you have to learn not to guard your heart. I'm never going to be in ministry again. I'm never going to open up our house to people. I'm never going to trust. I'm never going to invest. I'm never. Some of you have church wounds up to, up to here, and you're like, I'm never going to trust the pastor again. You don't even know me. You got hurt from the third pastor you had 10 years ago, and you're taking it out on me because you're jacked up. It's the truth. You're still mad. All they care about is your money. Yet you haven't even been in our church before and you already got offended over money. (laughs) Am I speaking the truth? We We got all these walls up. If you don't let the Lord take your wall down, you will never move into the fullness of intimacy with God or the fruitfulness that God wants to release in your life. It isn't, it isn't about avoiding hurt. It is impossible. If you are breathing today, you are going to be hurt. It isn't about avoiding hurt. It is about learning how to take my heart that has been poked and prodded and stepped on and run over and abused and bringing my heart to Jesus and crying out for God to do what only he can do to make sure I get the bitterness out. I don't want poison in my heart. I don't want resentment in my heart. I don't want judgment in my heart. I don't want cynicism in my life. I want to be a lover of people. I want to be a quick forgiver. I want to be somebody that ministers with an open heart to people. I want to love deeply. I want to love everybody. I want to do it till Jesus comes. How about you? Then I'm going to have to take my heart continually before God. And I'm going to have to present it to him and say, heal me because I am empty. If you're in any kind of ministry, if you're caring for anybody's soul, I promise you, there are times when before whatever you're gathering is your life group, before I get up here to preach, I'm on my face crying out for the presence of God to heal my beat up, worn out, tattered heart that's got nothing to give to anybody. And you wonder, why am I in the ministry? I'm such a loser. Oh, the devil piles on, doesn't he, when you're down? You're such a loser. What is the matter with you? How come you're not up? How come you're dealing with that? How come I don't feel the presence of God? How come I don't feel anointed? Help me, Jesus! I need you! To love people. I need you to love people because I'm tired or I'm weary or I don't feel like it or I want to nurse my own wounds. But I know I need to forgive and keep forgiving and keep moving on. Sometimes we feel guilty that our Christian service is no longer enjoyable. How come I, I don't have the same passion I once had? Take your hurting heart to the Lord and ask Him for fresh passion. Why is it? You know, Harvest modeled this for us today. This was not a day she felt like she was on the mountaintop. She didn't feel well. She's dealing with some life situations. I can just tell you, this morning, Harvest felt empty. I think we had a pretty good God encounter, did we not? Thank you, brother. I think, I think the presence of the Lord was here, wasn't he? But let me just tell you something. The reason why some of you, you're here today, you say, you know what, 
I don't ever hear God talk to me. You know what? When worship's going on, I'm just looking around. It's like, I don't know what these people drank, but I'm not experiencing. Look at that guy over there. Look at that guy over there. He's on his, he's on his face. Look at that guy over there. He's got joy welling up inside of him. He's like laughing. It's like he's mentally ill or something. What is the matter with that guy? Look at this person over here jumping up and down. What is going on there? These people are weird. Could they be experiencing something that you have not even tasted? And listen, the reason why you cannot taste the presence of God and encounter him and feel his presence and be weeping or being overcome with joy or falling on your face or clapping your hands or raising your hands or whatever expression, and you never hear God. Let me just tell you why. Bitterness, resentment, unforgiveness, keeping God at a distance, keeping walls around your heart, pride that says, I'm good, I'm good, when, listen to me, none of us are good. Anybody that says, oh, I'm good, you're in a state of absolute deception. How much of God is there for us to get? How much more of his presence can we have? Oh, I'm good. No, it means you're satisfied. It means you're prideful. It means you've had enough. It means you don't want to go closer. You don't want to deal with intimacy. It makes you uncomfortable. But if you want to experience God, you've got to let the walls come down, and you've got to let the Lord begin to dismantle the stuff, and you've got to be honest about the bitterness that's like pockets of infection in your spirit that you have got to forgive people. You can't keep living in the past. You've got to choose to love people. You have to choose not to walk in judgment. You have to choose that you don't have to have an opinion for everything. Shut up! Every time we open our mouths and say something stupid, we hurt people. Shut up. You don't have to talk all the time. You don't have to share that vomit. You don't have to be negative. Be quiet. People are getting damaged by what you have to say. Let the Lord deal with you. Be quiet for a change. Listen to God. Get along with the Lord. Quit having an opinion for everything. Quit having to judge everything. Why don't you work on letting the love of God transform your heart to where you're looking to love people, where you care more about lifting people and squashing people. You care more about seeing potential in people than judging people for who they're not, calling people forth into their destiny instead of smacking them down all the time. We wonder why. Listen, God wants to move with power and glory and might and authority in his church. But he cannot do it if we can't even love each other. We can't even trust each other. We can't even lift up each other because we have a toxic environment in most of our churches. Unless we learn how to properly address the hurts and the disappointments and the frustrations we'll never experience the freedom and the fulfillment that Jesus died to bring us. Let's deal with some of these things. A lot of us deal with past hurts, emotional hurts, physical hurts, mental pain, and usually the way we respond to these things is we experience rejection in our spirits. Let me ask you this question this morning. Do you have a recurring memory from the past that's painful and it just keeps cycling through Maybe not every day, but certainly every week, maybe every month. 
I'll bet you 90-some percent of us in this room have a, a recurring thought that is not pleasant and that when we meditate on it, it causes us pain. What's that all about? It's just the Lord reminding us through our pain that there's areas of our spirit that need to get healed. The question is, will we do anything about it? I already talked about being critical of others. Every time you, you find some way to be critical, it's something that's, that you're not happy with in you that's spilling out. Be in touch with that. It's interesting to me that many of these hurts come when we're little. Have you figured out that the devil's pretty smart? I can't tell you how many, how many men I've dealt with. They, they weren't looking for a pornography addiction. The pornography in their lives was introduced to them when they were young boys and they stumbled on their dad's stash of porn or their uncle's stash of porn or somebody else's stash of porn. They weren't looking for it. They weren't seeking it out. But the devil has a way of taking a young boy who's impressionable and exposing him to things that are perverted and twisted and causing him to have perversion or twisted desires that end up destroying his life. It's amazing to me when, little, when you're a small child how certain things mold you and shape you. You know, I, I shared, some of you know, I was born with severe, severe club feet. I had casts on my feet when I was 18 hours old, and up through sixth grade, I had corrective shoes. Now, the word corrective shoes should never be associated with stylish. <laughs> I wore high-top brown shoes that looked like they were on the wrong feet for most of my early days. There was not a week sometimes not a day that went by at school where I wasn't made fun of for my shoes. Hey, dude, your shoes are on the wrong feet. Um, Well, really they're not. I know they look like it. You know how many times you have to go into that explanation? And then this was the other thing. Those ridiculous shoes cost 80 bucks back in the 60s. I mean, you know, that's like 200 bucks. And my dad was a school teacher, and all of our school teachers, and you guys know the big bucks we were pulling in, and I remember distinctly getting this $80 pair of shoes that I knew was a tremendous sacrifice for my family. And I remember the day I'm walking home from school, and it's spring, and the storm clouds are coming in, and I'm thinking, I don't want these shoes to get wet because my mom and dad sacrificed for them, and I'm running home, and I didn't make it home. And they were soaking wet. I remember feeling in my heart like I was, oh, terrible kid for ruining these expensive shoes. You know what that did in me? There's good things and bad things that did in me, but I'll tell you one of the good things. There was a girl in our school that had polio as a child, and she had one of those shoes that's about that high on one side to keep, you know, and she had the brace, and kids would make fun of her terribly, and God gave me a heart for people that were hurting. God gave me a heart for people that were made fun of because I was made fun of. I know what the sting of that felt like. But I had to walk through life with, a, with, with, again, as a young boy, rejection, rejection, rejection over something I had no control over. You don't control how you're born or what's going on with your feet. You know what I'm saying? I didn't have any control over that. There's horrible things that happen to people when they're just little people. Rejection, abandonment, sexual abuse, horrible things that happen. We had a member in our family who, when she was growing up, 
She was with one of her best friends in the best, it was a snowy, wintry day, and the friend tried to race across the highway, and on the way across, she would have made it, except she hit some black ice. Her feet slipped out, and she fell down the middle of the highway, and she was run over by a car. She saw that. She had to live with that. Some of you have experienced death or trauma or things like that as young people that molds you and shapes you, leaves a mark on you. Aren't you grateful that Jesus can fix us where we've been twisted, where we've been broken? But the way he does it is we have to open our hearts up and we have to trust him and we have to invite him in and we have to quit whitewashing all the garbage that's going on or has happened to us in the past. See, here's the deal. Satan is not omniscient. He doesn't know all things. He, does, he's not so, he is not sovereign. He does not know the beginning from the end. But I'll tell you this, just like we can look around and see potential in other people, and we can call forth that potential. We can see gifting, and we can go, wow, that person is going to be an amazing pianist because they have a special musical anointing on their lives. We can see that when they're just little people. How many of you know the devil can see the same thing? And the devil is absolutely committed to destroying you before you get a chance before you even got running. That's why he's after what's going on with children in the womb. The devil hates the potential of human beings made in the image and likeness of God. That's why he's out to, sit, to destroy, twist you, break you, hurt you, cause you to be in some way damaged. Some of us don't know how to handle humiliation or embarrassment or the shame that we've had to deal with. And so we control things. Some of you in this room are control freaks, man. You're like, I'm going to control the situation. Well, why are you going to control the situation? Because when I'm in charge, that's not going to happen. I'll never be embarrassed. I'll never be humiliated. I'm going to make sure I control every situation. I thought the Holy Spirit was supposed to be in control. I thought we're supposed to be vulnerable. How's control working for you? It's not working so good, is it? How about the inner vows that we make in response to these things? No one's going to ever control me. No one's going to tell me what to do. No one's going to tell me what to do. Yeah, you've been a rebel all your life, and you paid the consequences of your rebelliousness because you made a vow that nobody was going to hurt you because you handled your pain incorrectly, and now you're paying the price for it. How about I'll never be like and then fill in the blank? I'm not going to raise my kids like, I'm not going to do that. Oh, you make those vows, and then you find out deja vu. Why am I living the same lifestyle that I inherited from this person or that person? How about word curses? You're never going to amount to anything. You're a failure. You're a loser. You're dumb. You're lazy. You're never going to succeed. You're just like your mom. You're just like your dad. How many of you have had those things spoken over your life? And when I just say it, you automatically feel the sting of that because you remember. That's what, my, that's what my old man used to always tell me. And then you wonder why you're struggling right now. These are word curses spoken over your life that Jesus wants to break off of your life. Sometimes people have been involved in physical abuse, sexual abuse, emotional abuse, verbal abuse. If I asked most of us this morning, do you like yourself? Do you like yourself? I'll bet you the majority of people in this room, if they're honest, they don't really like themselves. And it goes back to something shameful, some disappointment, some humiliation, something that hasn't worked, some, some major pain or struggle, traumatic event that's happened. Here's the question. How do you know if your heart needs healing? Here's my answer. When the pain from your past keeps you stuck in the present and unable to move forward into all that the Lord has for you. If I asked some of you this morning, do you feel stuck in your relationship with God? 
I'll bet a lot of you would say, if you're honest, yes. Every time you're stuck, it's because there's something that God's wanting to heal. There's a wall that God's wanting to tear down. There's something in you that God's wanting to bring greater freedom or liberty. How many know stuck is not a kingdom word? It's not part of God's inheritance for our lives, stuck. If you're stuck, it's because there's some damaged wounds in you, damaged goods in you. Here's the good news, though. We go through every now and then, you know, we buy the sack of lemons or limes, and uh, some of them just never get consumed, and they get shriveled up, and they're like hard as golf balls. Anybody know what I'm talking about? And what do we do? We go and we grab that lime out, because if you squeeze the tar out of it, you wouldn't get a drip of juice, all right? It's dead, dry, nothing. We take that thing, and we throw it in the garbage. It is damaged goods. It's discarded. Aren't you grateful that none of us are damaged goods to Jesus? None of us are discarded by Jesus. If we're dry, dead, it, the Bible says that if you're like smoking flax, he doesn't extinguish you like a cigarette. He, he blows on you to cause the flame to be uh, reignited in your life. Jesus loves bruised people. I love this verse from Matthew twelve twenty. He won't brush aside the bruised and the broken. He will be gentle with the weak and the feeble. Isn't that a good promise? I'm going to have our worship team come back up here right now. Another great promise. This is from Luke's gospel. I'm not going to get into it because we want to minister to people right now. This was actually going to be my text this morning, but I only got through the introduction. Luke 4.18. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, meaning Jesus the Messiah, because he's anointed me. Listen to this to set those who are oppressed, set free those who are oppressed, those who are downtrodden, those who are bruised, those who are crushed by tragedy. Those are the people Jesus wants to heal. Now, I'm going to have our elders and our pastors come on up here right now, across the front. And I want you to stand to your feet with me this morning. And I just want to ask you a question. Would you give the Holy Spirit permission to touch your heart this morning? Would you give the Holy Spirit permission to reveal some things to you that he wants to heal? You know, how do we start getting our hearts healed? Well, normally we come and we confess and we say, Jesus, first of all, I need help. And then sometimes there's a person we just need to forgive. There's a situation we need to put under the blood. There's, there's resentment that's in our hearts. It's like a low-grade fever. It just doesn't seem to go away. If you're cynical, if you're critical, if you're judgmental, if you've become jaded in your heart, if you're stuck, you're the very candidate the Lord wants to get unstuck. He wants to make you come alive. And so I want us just to worship this morning. I'm not going to wait a long time, but I, I just want us to worship. And I want you to present your heart. It might be bruised. It might be like that banana I described. It's gross. But the Lord loves it. He, he redeems rotten fruit. He, re, he redeems bruised fruit. And so let's give him our bruised fruit. Some of you are going to go to the encounters this coming week, and I'm so excited because God's going to take this to a whole deeper level. This is just setting you up to receive as much as you receive for healing from the Lord. So get ready. But now's the, now's the appetizer. And some of you just need to come forward and say, Lord, meet me. Some of you, our team will just mingle around and pray as the Holy Spirit leads, but maybe there's somebody you need to forgive. Maybe there's a situation you need to repent of.
Maybe your mouth has been critical. Maybe you've, you've been judgmental. Maybe you've been murmuring. Maybe you've been gossiping. Those things will cut off the flow of God's presence from your life. Let's just get that out of our hearts. Let's make sure our lives are pure, our hearts are pure with the Lord. So let's sing this song and dedicate our hearts to Jesus right now. And let's ask him to do some healing in us. And I, I know that he longs to do this. He's waiting to do this. Let's let him.